chapter 1. James chapter 1. This evening, uh, we will have the opportunity to hear some testimonies about what God has done in the lives of our young people and what He's doing in their lives and what specifically took place uh, this week at the Wilds. Uh, I know I've uh, made reference to this a number of times. Uh, When I first came here, the first year, I believe, that we were here at Tidewater, um, I don't even remember why. Some, something took place, and so it wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity uh, for the young people to go to the wilds that year. And it seemed to be um, quite lamented by those that had been here for many years. The people that had been here for a number of years seemed to be um, disappointed that it wasn't uh, an opportunity. And I remember thinking specifically, uh, so the kids don't go run around in the woods for a week. You know, you know what's, what's the big deal? Um, the next year, I thought maybe I just should go and uh, take a look and see, because um, people seemed to think it was a real blessing. And so I thought, well, maybe I should go look at it. And so we went, I believe Ronnie Gerganis and I, and, and I don't remember, I think somebody else might have gone, but I remember uh, Brother Ronnie going. And um, I was wrong. Um, just a tremendous, what's interesting is it is a camp. It's a very well-run camp. It's a very uh, nicely done camp. It is a camp. Uh, the kids do play games. They play really hard, too. I mean, the old, if you're older, if you're, you know, the older boys watching the older boys play their games, it's like, wow, I'm surprised they don't carry some of them off in stretchers and stuff like that. I mean, they get to play as hard. and as, It's really it's a tremendous blessing to watch them uh, be able to play these games together. Uh, but, it, but it's such a great opportunity, even the game time is such a great opportunity uh, for, to build uh, camaraderie, to build friendships you know, while they're doing this. But morning, noon, and night, uh, they hear the gospel. And they hear not just the gospel, but sound teaching. Teaching that's applicable to their age groups. And they have junior teams and they have older teams. Uh, they have what we call junior boot camp, which is uh, basically kind of what we would call a preteen age group of people. And it really is a tremendous blessing. And I'm grateful, thankful for the, for the effect that it had upon our family, the effect that it had upon our children. But I'm also grateful for the effect that it's had upon our church family. And uh, um, they're not perfect men and women, uh, but they are really committed, not to what they want to do, but what the Lord Jesus would have them to do to be a help to the ministries that send the children, and more importantly, the families that trust them with their children. And I'm really thankful and grateful for it. And I have been, and you know, you know we've been doing it now for, what, 15 years in a row, as far as I can tell you, know, as far as I know, 15 years in a row we've gone every year. Uh, you know, more vans, more vans, more vans until now we use a big coach and we filled the coach this year. That's 54 seats, I think. And we filled the coach this year. And, uh, you know, I don't know what happens after you fill the coach. I don't know what, maybe coach in one van. I don't know how that works out. We'll see how that works out. But just be in prayer about that. Uh, You know, we are able to take, not only do our young people go, uh, but we're able to take some of the young people that we minister to in the area. Uh, we can sponsor them when we do some, to- some of them. The Wild sponsors some of them. In other words, they're allowed to come for free and praise God for that. They have a real heart for young people to just hear the truth and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And I said that to, to mention that this evening, to, this evening you'll hear testimonies about what God is doing in these young people. And I think it'll be a tremendous blessing. Now what I'd like to do, uh, we're going to look this morning uh, specifically at verses 18 uh, through 25. 
But it's been a couple of weeks, as you're aware, we've had a couple of weeks of, uh, of me not preaching in the morning. Uh, the first week was we had an opportunity to hear a tremendous testimony uh, from Ronnie and Bonnie Jacobs, what God has done in their family, and what a tremendous blessing that was. And then last week, we got to hear about what God is doing in China. Of course, a couple of weeks ago in the evening, we got to hear what God did in our young people's lives as they went to Bolivia on their mission trip this year. And so it has been a few weeks of, of much testimony, much testifying of what God is doing in our lives. And again, it will continue tonight. And I thank the Lord. It is important, I believe it is important, not only that we would pray much, but that we would praise much, that we would, that we would speak the testimony of what God is doing in our lives. Amen? Now, what I'd like to do is, is take a couple, just a couple of moments. I'd like to take just a couple of moments to help you to put the book of James in your mind. In order to really enter into the book of James, I believe you have to understand if you just flip back one page in your Bible, you'll be in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews really kind of begins uh, the general epistles. It is the foundation for the general epistles which follow it. Now, every book after the book of Hebrews, which is James, and Peter, Peter, John, 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 and Jude, what you'll find is every one of those is a general epistle, and they're all, what God is doing in the general epistles is he is speaking of proving the reality of his promises in your life. Do you really believe him? Now listen, hear me, hear me. You need to understand that God is not testing you to see whether or not you can get into, the, into heaven. That's not what these books are for. They are finding out whether you are really a new creature or not. If you're really born again, if God has really made a change in your life and you personally really have a great high priest who is ever living to make intercession for you and pouring out a whole new quality of life now in your life. If this is true, then these general epistles will demonstrate, they will prove that what you have is indeed the real thing. It may prove that what you have isn't the real thing. The easiest testimony for this, I go back to a couple of years ago at the tent meeting, uh, coming home one night, finding my son Andrew, uh, reading his Bible at the, at the uh, dining room table, and he was reading 1 John, and he said, Dad, you know, what's, what's 1 John about? And, and he, knew, he, knew, he knew the answer to this question. Dad, what's 1 John about? And I said, well, you know this. It's, it's written that you might know that you believe, that you might know that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you're a new creature. And he said this, well, what if you're reading it and you don't know? And I said, well, then maybe you're not a new creature. And he got saved a couple of nights later. And, you know, it, the, the ministry that God has done in our church through others that come into our church is a tremendous blessing and a great encouragement that we would be hear multiple voices that would say the same thing in our life. And that is, be sure, be sure that you know that you're a new creature. Please don't play religion with God. God has no interest in you playing religion. God loves you. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to have the forgiveness of sins. And here's the wonderful thing we're going to see in the book of James. He wants you to have this whole new quality of life in your everyday life. Listen, if you don't have this whole new quality of life in your everyday life, what good is it, right? You understand? 
what good is it if you have this whole new quality of life, you know, once every couple of months or on Sunday morning from 11 o'clock to 1230? Why would that be of any value to any of us? I grew up in a church where, in New England. I grew up in a church in New England, where, and I just, I just called them hypocrites. I don't even know that they meant to be hypocrites. It was, one, it was a, a church that preached the social gospel. Be good to your neighbor, help everybody, be a good community. But there was no saving grace preached at the church. I don't know that, the, that the, uh, the minister knew to preach saving grace. And so the people were so amiable, agreeable, you know, good to be around on Sunday morning. There was no Sunday evening service on Sunday morning, but my parents owned the store, the only the general store, you know, in New England, you have a general store. And so I saw all the people that I saw Sunday. Well, I saw them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And what I realized was they were different people during the week than they were Sunday morning. That's not what God wants. It's not what God is after in our lives at all. You know, I, I know I've said this a lot of times, but the word of God, the word of God is your only help at two o'clock in the morning. The word of God is your only help at two o'clock in the morning. When the wheels have come completely off, you can turn to God. You may have really good friends in your life. You may. I had some, I've had some, before I was saved, I had some really good friends in my life. And I could call them at 2 o'clock in the morning and they would come. They would sympathize with me. They would sit with me, if you would. They would, you know, we would probably then do, do things together that, you know, that God would not even have had me to be involved with. But that was the idea of how to get through it. But that's just getting through it. God is not interested in you getting through life. God is interested, listen, in you reigning in life. And when I mean reigning, I mean that sin would no longer have dominion over you, but that you, through, through your relationship with Christ, that the things around you, that go on around you, that what happens in your life would be different than what used to happen in your life. And that's what the book of James is going to make real to us. Let me, let me just share this with you. In Hebrews, the promise of our great high priest mediating a whole new life. That's Hebrews. James, the promise of living our whole new life and our everyday life. In Hebrews chapter 13, you just turn back one page in your Bible and you can see it. Hebrews chapter 13. Let's just read a couple of verses. You should underline these, highlight them, put a box around them, something. It will help you to remember these verses. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now listen to this. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting, and praise God for the everlasting covenant. Make, listen to this, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here we see that God, God promises, the promise of a great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, mediating a whole new life. We see this culminating at near the end of the book. But at the beginning of the book of James, in James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And then in verse 17, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Here's what God wants you to know. Boy, it's such a tremendous blessing. Look up here. God wants you to understand that He fully intends, when you get saved, 
when you become a new creature, he fully intends the fact that you're a new creature will run into, if you will, collide with everything in your life that you were living before that. Do you understand? So when he says this, listen, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He's not saying to trip and stumble. That literally, literally, the Greek literally means it's the idea of falling among thieves. It's the same exact word that's used in the Gospels when he talks about the man who did fall among thieves. In other words, he didn't stumble uh, down a hill and suddenly find himself within a bunch of thieves. He was walking along, living his life, and suddenly he realized that he was surrounded by these thieves. And what God says is once you're saved, the things that used to be your friends, the things that used to whisper in your ear and tell you they were on your side, suddenly you find yourself having to fight with them. Suddenly you find yourself at odds with those things. The things that used to bring you pleasure for a moment no longer bring you pleasure. And instead you find yourself wrestling with them and it bothers you. And you say, surely God doesn't want this wrestling going on in my life. He says, no, count it all joy. This is because you're changed. This is because you are a new creature. Don't be disappointed that you suddenly realize that the things around you are not all right. See, listen, hear me. When Christians are born again, when they're saved, anything in their life that causes them to have a wrestling, a struggling, they want to, they want to be quiet about it. Because they don't want to talk to anybody about the fact that they're having any difficulty in their life as a young Christian and all. And God says, oh, no, no, no. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Right? That's what he says. If any of you lack wisdom, while you're going through this and you don't know what's going on, ask me. Ask me. But trust me. Trust me. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. Let me tell you something. When I got saved, my flesh, me, just me, right? When I got saved, I told myself, we're doing this together. We're in this together. I'm going to be a great help to you. I know I made some bad choices earlier, but now that I see, now that I'm reading the Bible, we're going to do great. But we didn't. My flesh was of no help at all. My flesh was not my friend. Here's what my flesh wanted, its way, right? Anybody, any, I don't know, maybe, maybe none of your children ever had the ability to persuade you in any way. Right? My, uh, you know, Amanda's right here. Amanda's down here. Married to a wonderful, godly man. And this is not true in her life, to my knowledge, um, anymore. But when she was a teenager, she was a master manipulator of, of me. And, and here's, my wife would tell me every now and then, she's just manipulating you. She's not manipulating me. <laughs> we are like this. <laughs> and we were like this. I was just wrapped around her little finger. That's how it was. Amen. Right? Well, when you get saved, your flesh snuggles up to you and says, I'm on your side in this. No, you're not. No, you're not. You get me in trouble over and over and over again. Right? Over and over and over again. You, my pride, hurts me over and over. And not, here's, the thing, here's the terrible thing about it. Eventually what you're going to learn is yourself is not only not on your side, it's not on anybody's side. It is only out literally for itself. But God is on your side. The one that you have offended is on your side. The one who should be angry with you is on your side. He says, tell me. Don't be surprised. Count it all joy. 
Understand this. You're going to learn to be patient. You're going to learn to stop trusting yourself, and you're going to learn to start trusting me, and you're going to start calling on me. But when you call on me, trust me. If you don't trust me, I can't help you. And he says that, and it sounds kind of mean-spirited, right? Um, um, if any of you lack wisdom, verse 5, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, literally, pouring out with both hands, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why? Why? Here's why. Because what you're really doing is you're measuring whether God can do this or whether you need to do it. And God says, if you're going to be measuring whether I can do it, first of all, can you imagine measuring whether God could do something or not? You're going to be measuring whether I can do it or whether you're going to need to do it for yourself. He said, and if you're still in that place, you're not ready for me to help you because you're going to believe that you put in your little bit and that your little bit was a help. And it's not a help. You know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have all been to one of those places. I was at a, uh, I was at a um, locksmith. I'd gone to see a locksmith about a key for my car. And I walked into his office, and they had that thing on the, on the, for the price list, you know, this is how much it costs, you know, it's this much an hour, and, it's just, and then the cute little thing is if you watch, if you ask questions. But at the bottom of it, if you try to do it already yourself, and it was like $500 an hour, you know what I'm saying? So if you brought it in here after you tried to do it yourself, it's going to cost a lot more, amen? And probably some of you wives have husbands who are, who are not the handyman. And it's like, honey, can you fix this? And then you realize, honey, don't fix it because it's going to cost us more if he has to come after you try to fix it than if we just call him right now. Amen? You, you know, the plumber comes and says, you did what? You know, seemed like a good idea to me. You know what I'm saying? No, no, not a good idea, Dad. Not a good idea. Do you understand? Listen, please hear me because this is really, really important. We all recognize this to be true, but you can't help God save you. If you could, you wouldn't need him. You just need a teacher. You just need instruction, which is, by the way, what most Baptist churches are doing today. Just instructing people, do this, do that, be better. You go on a Lifeway and read a hundred how-to books. God has no interest in showing you how to do it. He's interested in you submitting yourself and letting him do it. Because Christ in you is the expectation of glory. God Almighty dwelling within you is exactly what God wants to accomplish. You can fully expect victory. If you're born again, if you're a new creature, you can expect full victory in your life. You can in fact, it is God's promise to you. He will give you full victory because he lives there. Let him live there. Let him reign. Don't quench the Holy Ghost. Don't grieve the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost says, turn that off, turn it off. When the Holy Ghost says, don't do that anymore, I don't want you to do that anymore, that's not good for you. Just understand that he's not doing this to be unkind. He's not taking away something that's good for you. He's taking away something that's not good for you. So when he says, don't do this, don't do it. When he says, do this, just trust the word of God. Trust the word of God. All right, let's turn. I want to I move forward a little bit to verse 18. And I can't go through. If you want to see the verses between what we just looked at and verse 18, you can go back and listen to the sermons. So we look at every good gift, every perfect gift. This is verse 17, right? It's from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now notice this, and listen to this. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. I, listen, I want you to notice, how, how, listen, how did you get saved? And this is the answer. God 
willed for it to happen. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? What's the most important part of your salvation? That God is in it. That God is in it. I remember, I remember when I was first looking at whether Jesus was the Christ or not, when I was first studying in my Bible, coming to some understanding of the fact that, that this book was telling me that this Jesus of Nazareth was better than any other man on the planet, that somehow he was actually the anointed one, that he was the Christ. Indeed, he was God with us. He was Emmanuel. And I was looking at that, and I was trying to decide whether or not I agreed with that, whether I believed that. I wonder if that's really true. But here's what I learned to understand is this. What really matters is what does, the, what does God the Father say about this? What is his opinion of this? Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, listen, your opinion of something does not matter until you find out what God's opinion of something is. Do you understand? What does God say about this? That's what matters. What does God say about this? What is God's will in this matter? Once, you know, um, I know I've shared shared this a couple of times, a number of times, I'm sure, but uh, during the Civil War, uh, a reporter And reporters behaved themselves a lot like they do today back then. But a reporter speaking to Lincoln said to him, and this was his question, do you believe that God is on your side, the North's, or that God is on the South's side in this war? Because both armies had songs being sung around the campfires to God, the true and living God. Both of them were singing to the true and living God. Both of them were fully, um, what's the word, convinced that God was on their side. And so the question to the president was, do you believe that God is on your side or do you believe he's on the south side? And this was his answer, and you can look it up. His answer was, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but his answer was, God is not on anybody's side. The question is, which one of us is on his side? That's the question. Do you understand? You know, it's so funny. People, people you know, but, you know it, it, there's three seconds left in the game that's down by two point and we're going to kick a field goal, right? And you can see people in the stands, literally praying in the stands, you know, and, 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 and you know, and if, if, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I, you know, I don't have to be in the stands to pray about a football game, amen? And I think, you know, is God counting votes? You know what I'm saying? Oh, he's praying really hard, man, he, and he's a Patriot fan, good for us, all right, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he's not praying so well over there. Is that really how God, do you think God really cares about that? I mean, honestly, do you think God really cares about that? What does God care about? Of his own will. Begat he us. And what did he use to make you a new creature? With the word of truth. Nobody has ever been saved without a Bible. Nobody has ever been saved without the word of God. Let me say it that way. Because you can be saved reading a track. You can be, you, all you need is God's word on it. That's what you need. God's word on it. You just need God's word on it. Salvation comes from believing God at his word. Right? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He believed what God said. He said, I believe God to be true, and it was accounted unto him for, for salvation. Now notice this. He begat us with the word of truth that we, now listen, this is such a tremendous blessing, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, this can mean one of two things. Either he's making reference to the fact this is early in church history, And this is near the beginning of people being indwelt with the Holy Ghost. And so it could be these are the very first ones that were born again and had the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. It could be making reference to that. Or it could be making reference to the fact that if you take, what is is done with the first fruits? What was done with the first fruits in the Old Testament? What was done with the first fruits? 
they were separated unto God. Yes? When you gave your first fruits, what you did is you went out into the field. Let's just say we're picking apples. You went out into the field and you picked your apples. And God didn't simply say he wanted 10% of the apples. He wanted the first 10%. Why would God want the first 10%? Again, does God eat apples? Does God care about eating apples? No. He just wants you to know that all 100% of, of them, he gave them to you. When you give him the first fruits, you're acknowledging that without him, you'd have no apples. None. When you get your paycheck, when you give your tithe, when you give your first fruit of, of what God gives you, and maybe you give more than your first, maybe you give your tithe, and then you give the faith promise, and I sure hope you do, because missionaries need money so they can preach the gospel. Amen? So you give your first fruits, and then you give a little bit on top of that, or maybe a lot on top of that. When you do that, just understand, none of it's yours. None of it. None of it. It's all God's. It's all God's. Listen, now listen, I don't mean to be unkind, but if you don't understand that even being able to go to work is a gift from God, ask Ed Agner, who's sitting in the back of the church right now, who can't go to work because he cannot get rid of the, of the damaged nerves in his back. And he's in constant, continual, horrible pain. And he can't go to work. And he's a hardworking man. He was a longshoreman, a hardworking man. And he can't go to work anymore. And if you can, if you've got a job, praise God. Be thankful for it. Be grateful for it. And, and understand and recognize if you have skill, God gave you that skill. If you have an opportunity, God gave you that opportunity. Amen? Now, also, so now, with that in mind, that idea of first fruits, he says that we are first fruits of his creatures. And what that means is the whole earth is his creatures, right? Every man, woman, and child on the planet is God's creatures. But some of us, some of us have been separated unto God willingly, by the way. Lord, I want to be separated unto you. I, I want to be completely devoted to your use. And I'm not talking about pastors and missionaries. I'm just talking about Christians. I'm just talking about those of us who are born again and we say, my life is no more my own. Amen? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so the life that I will now live, I will live by faith in the one who, what? Loved me and died for me, the one who gave himself for me. That's my desire. And this is what happens. Hear me. Listen. This is what happens when you're saved. This is the change that takes place. So, because I want you to notice in verse, maybe you need to circle this, in verse 19, wherefore? Wherefore? So what he's getting ready to say to you is, when you first get saved, you start noticing conflict in your life. And God said, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Because what that means is the things that used to be fun to you, the things that used to be what you ran around and did all the time, they now bother you. And that's okay because it ought to bother you. But don't worry, I'm going to give you every good gift, every perfect gift. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make the difference in your life. Just ask me. Just ask me. Because you've been separated to me now. You've been separated to me now. You are a first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, verse 19 my beloved brethren. And you need to understand, you need to hear the spirit with which this is said. Again, I, I have a hard time uh, when preaching is done 
yelling and ranting and raving all the time. Again, there are times to raise your voice. There are times when you have to even have a frown on your face or, or, or an expression of disappointment or even fear, if you understand what I'm saying. There are times where passages make it very clear that everybody ought to be afraid, if you understand what I'm saying. But I don't believe that Jesus went around yelling and screaming and ranting and raving. I don't. I don't. In this passage, I don't believe that James is doing so in this passage. Notice what he says. Wherefore, my beloved brethren... You hear the tone. You know, how many of you text? Raise your hand if you text, if you text other people. Raise your hand. How many of you are aware when you text that sometimes um, you're not sure how they're going to receive the text? You, you understand what I'm saying, right? You send the text, and it's like, you know, oh, man, I need to put a smiley face, which has a nose. A smiley face without a nose is not a smiley face, okay? So yeah, there are three symbols to a smiley face, all right? Unless you're using the emoji. Okay. Anyway, anyway, you can talk to me afterwards if you want to, but that's what it looks like, okay? If you say smiley face to Siri, she makes an actual real smiley face, okay? That's how it works. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> you know, and I'm getting old enough, I can't do that anymore. I won't be able to go back to the sermon in a little while. I'll be like Frank Sells when you say, Daryl, where was I? Amen? So, uh, Amen. I shouldn't have done that either. All right. <clears throat> you, don't know, you don't know what the tone is when you send a text. There are times when I call someone. I'll be texting with them, and then I'll call them because I want them to hear the tone in my voice. I want them to understand that I'm not angry, that I'm not, that I'm not, that I'm not bothered, that I'm not vexed, that what I'm saying is true, but it's not because I'm bothered by it. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I want you to hear when he says, wherefore, now if he, if he, left, if he leaves out my beloved brethren, you might, under, you might question his motive for what he's getting ready to say to them. But he says, listen, I love you. Right in the middle of it, wherefore, God says, wherefore. And then God says right in the middle of it, my beloved brethren. You are new creatures. You are wrestling with things in your life now. I am giving you victories in your life. Now let me tell you what needs to happen. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now do you suppose the average independent Baptist church would gain any advantage in learning to understand what this is saying. Listen, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It doesn't. So stop it. Be swift to hear. Be slow to even speak. And be slow to wrath. For the wrath of God worketh not the righteousness, excuse me, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, another wherefore, he made us, right, of his will begat us. He gave us new creatures, wherefore live differently, right? The first difference in our life is meant to be that we now listen to what God says and we're, and we're not quick to speak to each other about things. Boy, we all know this. I mean, there's not a person in this room who would love to take back some words that have come out of their mouth. And, and, and I know, and, and we all are aware of this, it's, it's, you can apologize for the words that come out of your mouth, but you can't take them back, right? I, I've hurt so many people with the words that have come out of my mouth. And even after saying you're sorry, you know, the, the, the Bible says that a brother offended is harder to be won than a fenced city. When you hurt someone, it's hard, it's hard to win them back. So, so you know, as Mrs. Murphy would say, 
breathe through your nose. If you don't understand what I mean, try to speak while you're breathing through your nose. You cannot speak and breathe through your nose at the same time. You just can't. Now, I would say, honestly, that breathing through your nose is not the best victory because you might still have a bad thought, but it's better than saying something. Amen? So what's funny is now we're going to walk around going like, you know. God says, don't speak quickly. And don't have wrath. Don't let that be your response. Now, by the way, let me just say this about the word wrath. The word wrath, it doesn't necessarily have to mean uh, deep anger. It doesn't have to mean that. I mean, there is a word for that. that. That's not the word that's being used here. What this means is, listen, hear me. What this means is expressing, expressing your passionate thought. That's what it means. Expressing your passionate thought. In other words, because this is, what, this is the mistake that people make. They say, oh, I wasn't angry. I was, just call, I was just saying what was true. Oh, that was nice. Well, good for you then. Jesus is all about that. You know what I'm saying? Right, right? Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Can you imagine how much you can hurt people by just saying true things to them? Right? You know anybody that you could hurt with saying true things about them? God, we're some pretty terrible people, aren't we? You want to be honest about it? You know, the, you know, the worst thing about letting somebody get to know you is that they get to know you that you're not perfect. And then if they want to, they can use those things and they can say things to you that will hurt you. Yes? God said don't. That's what he's saying here. Don't, don't, don't. Be swift to hear. Listen. Don't be swift to speak. And don't be swift to speak your truth that you feel very strongly about. Don't. Don't be swift to do that. And also, verse 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. How many of you use that phrase often? Superfluity of naughtiness. And it literally means excess. God says, lay apart all filthiness. There should be no filthiness in the life of Christians. And there should be no naughtiness in your life. Get rid of all of it. Lay it all down. So lay this apart and instead, now notice this, so lay that down and let this come and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Somebody underline this in their Bible so you can go back to it later. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. Listen, when you receive the word of God, it becomes a part of you. That's what the word engrafted means. It actually means that it remains as part of you. When you this is powerful. When you receive the word of God, when you receive the word of God, it actually becomes a part of who you are and it will have an effect upon you from this day forward. This is tremendous truth. God says, listen, don't be quick to talk and don't be quick to point out your truth. Instead, be quick to receive the word of God and let it make the change that it wants to make in your life. The only way for you, listen, here's, hear me. The only way for you and I to be changed, the only way for you and I to be changed is for the word of God to do it. The only way for you and I, not a how-to program, the only way to be changed is for the word of God to dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly that it might change you, that it might remain in you as part of you and make you into the different man or woman that God wants you to be. So lay apart all of this other thing and instead receive with meekness. Now notice the meekness. Hear me, hear me. Many people come to classes or to churches to, in order to receive with arrogance the instruction. So that they can now be a smarter person than everybody else. That's not what God wants. God says receive it with meekness. 
recognize that when this changes you, it changed you. And you needed to be changed. And praise God that he's willing to do that. So receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And then notice what it says. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. Now what does this mean? Assenting, agreeing. I preached a couple things. I've said a couple of points. And get it, we get done, and you're talking to other people, and you say, you know, preacher was really right about that. He was really right about that. That was a really good point. Great. But is it going to change your life? Because if the Word of God doesn't change your life, then it doesn't matter that you even heard it. Yes? Now, let's, I'm going to read. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read the next few verses, and then you decide for yourself whether simply hearing the Bible is enough. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face, just your face, in a glass, which is a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh, and this word looketh here has the idea of stooping down, literally bending down to examine closely, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen? Amen? Do you see this? Do you see this? We need doers. The pro- Listen, the problem with preaching all of grace is that people might think that it means you're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to do anything to earn your salvation, but your life should be full of good works. Must be full of good works. Boy, I could spend, I mean, we don't have time. We've run out of time. I could spend the next hour talking about how much right now at Tidewater we mean men and women who will commit themselves to doing what God would have them to do. Not hearing about it, not agreeing with it, not saying that's a good idea, but actually be involved in the doing of it. Now hear me. Listen, listen, this is important. Nothing can be done through strife or vainglory, right? So I can't psych you into doing it, and I can't shame you into doing it. I can't. I can't motivate you by, you know, by, by whatever you want to say, you know, dazzling things, or, you know, we, talk, we joke about the gold star. Can't be handing out gold stars, if you understand what I'm saying, because then you're just doing it for strife or vainglory. I do it because I want every, I want, when, when, when pastor's handing out the gold stars, I want everybody to see me get mine, right? We can't do that. We can't. We literally can't do that. But that doesn't mean we don't need to do the things. So you have, listen, so you have to be somebody, please tell me, this morning, that there are people here who say, I want to receive what God has me to do with meekness. And then I want to do it. I want to hear the word of God. I must be changed by the word of God. And I want it to change the way I live my life so I will serve others. But not to be noticed and surely not to be justified because the blood already justifies me. Amen? But I want to be involved in this and I need to be involved in this. And God says, the people that feel that way, this man, person, shall be blessed in his deed. You want to be blessed? Do we need to minister to our children? Yes or no? Yes or no? Louder. Anybody. Do we need to minister to our children? 
Do we need people who will do so that after they've with meekness received the engrafted word into their hearts that it has changed them? And then they say, I'm going to be a doer of what God is showing me right now. And I'm going to give this to the children. Do we need people to go to the nursing homes? Do we need me? You know the ministries. You know the needs. There are great, great, great needs. Who's going to do it? And I mean this, honestly. Where you're sitting right now, who's going to be involved in this? And, and listen, if this was a how-to church or if this was a um, gold star church, it would be easy to get everybody involved. I mean, literally, I, could, I mean, pastors could use that method, and many pastors do, use that method to fill a church with all kinds of servants. But God won't let us do that. That's not his desire. His desire is that, that, that Simon would simply say, I, I do have a part. I do. And I should be doing this, and I should be doing this, and I should be doing this. And I should show up on time, and I should be ready, and I should be prepared, and I should be involved in those things because the Holy Ghost is saying, that's my part. And it's changing my life, and I can now be a help to somebody else. And, he, and if he does that, and, 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 and everybody else, if Carolina, Sabine, I mean, they're just sitting beside each other, Vicky and Chris, they're just sitting on the same row. If everybody really understands what that means, there's great things God can do. Great things that God can do. There are great things that God wants to do. And this is very practical because we're talking about our everyday life here. Amen? Not a, well, Pastor, if you have a special work day, I can make it to one or two of those a year, probably, if you have a special work day. I mean, as long as we're not on vacation that week. And we're not going to change our vacation plans. I mean, because we're making those this week, and you you only made this work day six months ago. You know what I'm saying? Do you understand? I mean, please, if, anybody, if anybody's vacation co- coincided with a work day, forget I said it, okay? Because I, I, didn't, I, I didn't say that because of anybody, really, honestly, I mean it with all my heart. You know, sometimes people think that the pastor, you know, preaches a whole sermon just so he can say something about somebody. With all of my heart, with all of my heart, I want us to want to serve. To want to serve. To not be able to live any other way. Because, because Jesus is who he says he is. And there are a lot of people that don't know it. And if we don't have the love the genuine love of God, if we don't have the love of God and the will to help others, then how will they ever know? How will they ever know? Right? As the, as the, as the song, the Victorious Valley Girls sing, how can we reach a world we never touch? How can we show them Christ if we never show them love? Just to say we care will never be enough. Right? Do we want to help the people in West Virginia? Yes or no? Are you willing to give up your holiday for it? Yes or no? Yes or no? See what I'm saying? Are you willing to give up 15 extra minutes and come here early on Sunday morning for Sunday school or Wednesday night to minister to the... Are you willing to come 15 minutes early? Now again, if you can't, you can't. But are you willing to if you can? Are you willing to be in the choir if you can sing? Are you willing to play an instrument if you can play an instrument? Are you willing to do these things because God has given you the ability and the heart to do them and you say, I will be committed to doing this. I will be a doer of what God says in his word. I will be a doer of what God says in his word. But not for my justification. Amen? Not for my justification. Because I'm already justified. 
I mean, and it's wonderful. It's truly wonderful. If, you, if you're really born again and you did nothing else for the rest of your life, praise God, you're still born again. Right? The thief that died on the cross, he died on the cross and went right to be with Jesus, and Jesus promised him that he would be. Yes? As far as we know, the only testimony he gave was to turn to the other guy and say, you ought to be quiet. That's the only testimony he gave. That's all we know. Never baptized, never joined a church, never did any of that. Trusted Jesus Christ for his salvation. And that's all you have to do. But that being true, that being true, how can you not serve him? How can you not serve him? Amen.